Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Hey, let's thank our team for leading us out this morning. Did an incredible job. Welcome to Connect Church, where it's our heartbeat to connect everyone with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And today, together, we get the joy of making much of Jesus. We are so glad uh, that you are here. I want to uh, say a couple things real quick in the opening, and that is, uh, first of all, and we are in week one, just finished week one of our prayer and our fasting time. Now, now listen, maybe you weren't here last week, maybe you didn't get started last week. We've got 14 days to go until our Easter celebration, and we invite you uh, to join in on this time of prayer and fasting. Maybe you have some questions about what that looks like. There's a QR symbol, and we've got some videos prepared for you just to share with you what it looks like to fast, what it looks like uh, to pray during this time. And I want to remind you, uh, the reason why we're doing this is not so that we can have the most Easter numbers we've ever had on, on the Easter Sunday. Really, the entire reason behind this is just more of Jesus, more of a desire for him, more of a heart for him. And you know what my prayer is, is that by the time we get to Easter, we've been feasting on him so much, worshiping him in our everyday so much, that maybe, just maybe, we can celebrate an Easter like we never have before. And so maybe you've not started yet. We've got 14 days to go. Hop on this prayer and fasting time with us, and all the information is in that bookmark near your seat. Now, I want to also say this, man. I've had a good time in Denver this past week. Uh, This is our construction team. This is the team that was tapped to go into our two church plants that we're working with, one especially. And, man, they were moving walls, tearing down walls, building walls, and saving our church plant in the Denver area thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars in labor. And, man, they did an incredible job. And we had just a blast together. It was beautiful. It was great. But the chance to get to spend with our church planters was was really unbelievable. So thank you for your generosity. I thank you for your prayers that make this possible and continue to pray for our churches uh, in the Denver area. I came back Friday night and on Saturday morning, man, I engaged, or Saturday afternoon, I engaged in some battle. This is our middle school and high school boys and, and we went and played some paintball yesterday afternoon. I'm going to tell you as a pastor, one of the great joys that I have is shooting your children with paintballs. It is... <laughs> There is some fun in that. And, uh, and so, man, we had such a good time. In fact, uh, right before I left, I just had my 41st birthday, so things don't work like they used to. So, so Aaron and I, we created this thing. We took 47 boxes from Lowe's and created a cardboard vest for me so that I could go play paintball and not get hit. Let me tell you what your kids did, Okay. They shot me everywhere there was not cardboard, okay? They shot me in the arms. I shot in the head. I got shot in the back, got in my legs. They shot me everywhere. I mean, we had such a fun time. You know, I got to thinking yesterday, uh, after the first round, this was a joke. I kind of threw this thing off. Um, I got to thinking yesterday, funny how we'll suit up for paintball. But I got to suit up for Sunday morning. Hey, every Sunday morning, we got to get our Ephesians 6 on. We've got to put on the full armor of God. We've got to get ready to go into battle. So right now, I'll ask you to do this. You ready? I want you to take out your swords, if you would. Open the Word of God to John chapter 4. And as we begin our study today, 
Man, I love this text. Today we leave Jerusalem, the site of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, and we travel north to another conversation that is much different than what we found in John chapter 3. A conversation that will take place in Samaria. So as you turn in John chapter 4, uh, let me ask you this question. Have you ever wondered what Jesus is after? Maybe you've had some bad church experiences. And maybe you come in here today and you go, you know what, man, when it comes to what Jesus is after, man, I always thought that Jesus was just after my money and after my stuff. Maybe other experiences have taught you that maybe Jesus, all he's after with you is to make you guilty or to make you feel bad for what you've done. But we must ask the question, what is Jesus really after when it comes to you, when it comes to me? And what happens in John chapter 4 is we begin to see a glimpse of what it is. What it is that Jesus truly is after. Today in the text, we sit down in the heat of the day in Samaria. We're tempted speaking of heat of the day. I've got to turn on my little fan. I have a remote for this thing and it did not work. And so I'm going to see if I can get this on here real quick. So we flew out of Denver. And on that day, it was in the 30s, and it was in the low 20s at night, and we flew back, and at 7.30 at night in Knoxville, it was 80 degrees. Now, some of you are like, that's glorious. That's terrible for people like me. And so uh, I'm thinking of this desert that we're, we're walking into in John chapter 4, and guess what we know about this desert? That in the heat of the night, in the heat of the day, of this desert, it could climb to 120 plus degrees. I would die. And yet we find Jesus is walking. We see him propped up against the side of a well that bears the name and the history of Jacob. Jesus is thirsty. But my question is of this, of the text, what is Jesus really after? So we are going to go for the next two weeks, verse by verse, through one of the most beloved events, encounters in all of the Bible. And so to the Gospel of John we go. We, we tackled the first couple of verses a couple of months ago in another passage of Scripture. So today we pick up with verse 3 and 4. And here's what the Bible says. And he, meaning Jesus, left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And watch this language here. And he had to pass through Newport, right? No, he had to pass through Samaria. I'm kidding. I love Newport people. I know some of y'all from Newport. We love y'all. He had to pass through Samaria. Let me explain something about kind of the landscape of the time of Jesus. Right here is where he is in his conversation with Nicodemus. He's down in Judea. He's, he's needing to go all the way up to Galilee. But there's a problem. Right smack in the middle of this journey is the region called Samaria. Now, for you and I, if we've got to get from this point A to this point B, man, we're just, we're going to cut right through Samaria. In fact, I did a little Google map here, right? And this is what Google says is the fastest route to Galilee from Judea. Man, just kind of this, this wobbly line, by the way, all the way north. That's the fastest way to go. In fact, I tried to get Google to go around Samaria this way, and you really can't because the Jordan River's there. And there's not any good crossings. Plus, it would take double the time 
to go that way. I tried to get Google to go along the sea here, but that's the West Bank. And, man, it's, it's, it's really kind of scary that way. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of um, tension there. And so Google tells me the best way to get to Galilee from where Jesus is is to go through Samaria. But I'm going to tell you something. It might be the shortest route, but most Jewish people would never take that route. And how dare you to even think they would? You see, you ask the question why. And then you begin to understand here in John chapter 4 that there's a little bit of history here. There's some tensions between the Jews who live in the south in Judea and in the north in Galilee. There's some tension between them and the Samaritans who are right smack dab in the middle of them. I got to studying and you find out that they, they fight with each other a whole lot. In Scripture, you're going to find that they even call each other names. They make alliances with, with foreign enemies so long as it would hurt the other people. By the time John chapter 4 happens, by the time Jesus walks in Samaria, man, it's gotten pretty ugly. We're going to find this out too. No self-respecting Jewish man would travel through Samaria to get to anywhere. In fact, it would take two and a half days, not by car, but by camel, to walk through um, Samaria. But you know what Jew, Jewish men would do? Is that they would go across the Jordan River so as to not set one single foot on the soil of Samaria, and they would take a six-day journey around Samaria because they wanted nothing to do with it. Bypassing Samaria, let me tell you something. It was twice as long... It was much hotter, and it was more difficult than the path through Samaria, but it didn't matter. They weren't going to go through there. I got to thinking, man, Samaria's a pretty important place in the Bible. If you've been reading your Bible through the year, a lot of, a lot of pretty big things happen here. In the Old Testament, we, we know that this area was Shechem, and a lot of things God did that were pretty big in Scripture Happen here. Let me just give you a few of those. Uh, this area, Samaria, was the first place that Abraham, yeah, Abraham first built an altar to the Lord in the promised land according to Genesis 12, 6. Jacob, Abraham's grandson, listen, you ready? He lived here. And it's the site in Genesis 35 where Jacob himself would bury his foreign gods and commit and surrender to follow and worship the one true God. It's also the place where Jacob would dig a well. And in the days of John chapter 4, that well still remained. Genesis 37, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Later on in Joshua 24, we realize that Joseph's bones were taken to this region of Samaria and they were buried there. And by the way, you can go to the West Bank today into this very same region and you can see the very box in which Joseph's bones were laid. I mean, a lot of incredible stuff. So much important Jewish history happening in Samaria. And so you have to ask the question, why, why would the people not set foot on its soil? Why would they not walk through it but walk around it? What was happening here? And it has everything to do with a site like Jacob's well. Why did the Jews hate the Samaritans? You ready? Because they hated the people who would go to Jacob's well and drink from it. Why wouldn't anybody walk through it? They hated 
the people the Jews hated the Samaritans but we begin to see in John chapter 4 that Jesus was after something in Samaria hey better yet he was after someone and in verse 31, we begin to see a hint of this. Now, let me set this up. Jesus has been at the well. The disciples went into town, according to verse 8, to buy some food. They come back and they're like, Jesus, you got to sit down and eat. You, you got to sit down and eat because you got to be hungry. We got to take care of you, bro. And Jesus refuses. They insisted. He says, No. And he begins to hint to them, Hey, I've got food you know nothing about. Now, if I go home and Erin knows I've been to work all day and she knows it's time for supper and she goes, Anthony, I insist that you get something to eat and I tell her, no, you know what she thinks? I went to Taco Bell before I got home. <laughs> Every time. Hey, did Jesus go to Taco Bell before he went to this well of sick car? The disciples begin to wonder and Jesus says something to them in verse 34 that's pretty telling. I love this. Jesus said to them, watch this. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And you know what I begin to understand? That the Jews may have hated the Samaritans, but Jesus loved them. The Jews may have hated them, but Jesus loved them. Hey, remember the past few weeks in our study, John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world, and the last time I checked the map, Samaria is still part of the world. Verse 17 that we studied last week, that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through Him. Last time I checked, Samaria is still part of this world. All that saving that Jesus desires to do is part of the will of God. Guess what? It included the Samaritans. So here's a good reminder for us, church. You ready? The people you and I hate are the very same ones that Jesus loves. Don't be a hater. Don't be a hater. Love for the Samaritans, saving them, is the will of God. And Jesus says, that is the food, that is the fuel for me to walk through Samaria when so many will not. Not to condemn, as the Jews had already done, but to save. Hey, let me ask you something, believer. When was the last time you snacked on? Hey, better yet, you feasted on God's will for your life. When was the last time you enjoyed it? Hey, part of the reason why we're doing this fasting time together is so that we can not only know but enjoy the will of God. And to do the work he has called us to through Christ. I'm going to tell you what I get to do every day. I get to snack on no better yet. I get to feast on Jesus. So on Easter Sunday when I come to church with you. I'm not just spending time with him on Easter. For these past, these three weeks leading up to it. I've been feasting on him. You see, our, our food must be to do the, the will of God, led by the Spirit of God to the glory of the Son of God, who is Jesus. And we find the story continues in verse 17. For God did not send His Son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And that's what Jesus is heading to do in Samaria. So He came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. In the Old Testament, this is Shechem. 
near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there too. Hey, by the way, do you know that his well is still there? This is a picture looking down into Jacob's well today. Now, it's in a, a region of the West Bank that's really dangerous to go into, but did you know you could fly to Israel today? You could line up some special transportation, and you could go to Jacob's well in Sikhar, and you know you can drink from it? Just incredible. Watch this. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, if we're on Roman time, that's early evening. But John is teaching us and writing on Jewish time, and so we realize this, that the sixth hour that Jesus comes to this well is high noon. It is the hottest part, the absolute hottest part of the day. Yet Jesus is there. Now we find this too in verse number 7. That a woman from Samaria now enters in someone else. She's just been Jesus at the well. But here comes another part of this incredible encounter. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And watch this. Jesus said to her, hey, give me a drink. We are, we're introduced to an unnamed woman who makes her way from the town that she lived in to draw from Jacob's well. And when she arrives... She finds Jesus there, but here's the deal. She had no idea who he was. But questions begin to flood my mind as I read this account. Man, why is she there in the hottest part of the day to draw water? Both Israeli and Samaritan women knew that the time to go get water when it was so hot outside was in the cool of the morning and the early cool of the evening. That's just what everybody did. And yet as Jesus sits at this well in the hottest, hottest part of the day, here comes a woman doing what she shouldn't have been doing. She'd already had it taken care of. She must have waited till the cooler times, but she didn't. And the questions begin to swirl. No woman would go to the well at noon unless she didn't want to be seen. Next week, we're going to unpack that a little bit more together but a question I have too is was this a coincidence that her and Jesus were at the same well at the same time or really nobody would ever be at the well at that time can I tell you something the more and more I walk with Jesus the more and more I read his word the less and less I believe in coincidences this was no coincidence at the well this was God's providence but again I ask what is Jesus after at Jacob's well? In verse 7, Jesus asked for a drink. Jesus was thirsty. Stop and think of that for a moment. Jesus was thirsty. The one whose first miracle was changing 120 20 gallons of water into wine was thirsty. The very same one who carved the Nile River with his finger is thirsty. The one who spoke into the existence of the Niagara Falls and sent 75,750 gallons of water over its ledges per second is thirsty. The very same one who by the word of the Father filled the oceans with an estimated 352 quintillion gallons of water is thirsty. Think of this for a moment. This week's past rains... Let's say this, that a rainstorm brings one inch of rain over your one half acre lot. 
Do you know that your yard would be saturated with over 13,577 gallons of water? And by the way, Jesus is the one who sends the rains. It blows my mind that Jesus is thirsty. But I'd argue that Jesus is thirsty on purpose here in John chapter 4. Thirsty on a, on a mission. Another reminder, yes, that Jesus is fully God and at the same time fully man. But was it just the water, the quenching of his thirst that Jesus was after? And here's verse 9. And the Samaritan woman said to him, now watch this, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman, in Samaria? And here, listen to this little note here. For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Can we notice a couple things here? And here's the first thing I want you to notice. The Samaritan woman is not named. Do you know her name? I don't know her name. But Jesus does. Heaven does. I can't wait one day when I get to heaven. And if I don't know her name by then, I can't wait to find her. I can't wait to ask her her name. Because her account is one of the most treasured for me. Because out of these two conversations, the one with Nicodemus is pretty incredible, but I identify more with the woman at the well than I do Nicodemus at night with Jesus. Man, I can't wait to know her name, but she remains unnamed to us. Note too, <laughs> she hasn't given Jesus any water yet. In fact, she never gives him a drink of water. Because Jesus was after something else. In fact, talking about the difference between the conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus and Jesus and the Samaritan woman, then there are a lot of uh, contrasts to be seen in the text. It is on purpose that John puts these conversations back to back in Scripture. And so let's contrast them uh, just for a few minutes. You ready? First contrast we see is Nick came to Jesus at night, but Jesus went to the Samaritan woman during the day. The difference is, is not in day. Nick was a moral and religious man. The Samaritan woman was immoral and irreligious, as we're going to see next week. Nicodemus was part of a sophisticated class socially. The Samaritan woman was from the slums of Samaria. Nick was wealthy. The Samaritan woman was poor. Nick was an educated theologian. The Samaritan woman, she was an uneducated peasant. When Jesus and Nicodemus met, he called him teacher. The Samaritan woman didn't even know who Jesus was. There is so much to contrast between these two back-to-back -back conversations in the Gospel of John. But I want you to hear me. There is much more to celebrate. For Jesus shows us that the Gospel isn't just for the religious like Nicodemus, but for the rebellious like the Samaritan woman. And again, I'm going to tell you something. If I had the, the conversation that was most like me, it would be her story. The gospel isn't just for the Jews, but for the Samaritans, for all sinful people. But also here in verse 9 in the Gospel of John, we begin to see that there is more between Jesus and the Samaritan woman than Jacob's well. 
we, we begin to see that there are some invisible barriers, that some lines have been drawn in the sand at that well that day. Four invisible barriers, two of which we're going to touch on today, that come between Jesus and the woman at the well. The first barrier, racism. You see, back in 720 A.D., about 720 years before Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well, the Assyrians had come and had conquered the region of Samaria and the people of God who lived there. Now, once they were conquered, um, daughters were given to the Assyrian men. Women were married to Assyrian men in direct violation to God's word. And so the Jews saw them as half-breeds and wanted nothing to do with them. They hated them for how they were born. Now, let me remind you what was taking place was not a skin problem, but a sin problem. Why? Because God did not want his children intermarrying with other people who did not worship him as the one true God. There's a lot of issues when you do that. And God didn't want it for his people. And let me remind you of something, church, about racism. I say this often on this topic, but to hate a person for the color of their skin is to hate the very one who colored their skin. Racism then, racism now, no matter where it is found, is a sin and an assault on God. And we find that there is a barrier that is invisible at the well that day. And racism was alive. But there was a, another barrier. You ready? There was a reality of, of real strong gender division alive there. Culturally, a Jewish man could not talk with a woman that was not his wife in public. In fact, look at the surprise the disciples had in verse 27. A little bit later on in the story, Justin and his disciples came back. Watch this. They marveled. They were amazed. They were freaked out that he, Jesus, was talking with a woman. Can you imagine those conversations? Jesus. It's a woman. Conversation. They were amazed at what was happening. You see, Jesus wasn't after social norms. In fact, he was breaking social norms because he was after her soul. Well, let me tell you something I know about Jesus in my own life. Now listen, when it comes to barriers, then there's some barriers only Jesus can break. And one after another, in this text, Jesus is breaking down the barriers that stand between him and the Samaritan woman. Watch what he says to her. Still thirsty, by the way. Jesus answered her. And if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now in those days, well water was not living water. Living water is what would come out of a natural spring and bubble up to the ground. It looked like it was alive, and that was the best water you could get. That's not what Jesus is talking about here, though. There's something more to this living water he is talking about. With Nicodemus, Jesus used the imagery of, of birth and wind. With the Samaritan woman, he uses the object lesson of water and living water. Now, most people say, man, I know what living water is. Jesus is living water, and I would argue that Jesus is not living water. He is the source of living water, and drink from him by faith. And not only does he save you and give you everlasting life, he sends to you and seals you with his Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians 1.13, the very living water inside of us. Consider what Jesus said in John chapter 7. 
with a bunch of people worshiping at the temple surrounding him. He says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of what? And living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. So watch what Jesus is after here. You ready? That Jesus is after the Samaritan woman's salvation to put his Spirit in her by faith. And as we're going to see over this week and next week, that this, this woman is drinking from so many wells spiritually, and yet she's never satisfied. And here comes Jesus, who offers her a well to drink from that will fill her emptiness, that from in her living water will overflow, and so too will joy and, and, and peace and hope and life. She continually thirsts again and again, going to Jacob's well. And now Jesus says, no, drink from me by faith. For he is the well of life, the giver of living water. Can I ask you something today? What well or wells do you continue to go back to Wells that have long run dry, but that leave you empty and thirsty again and again. I stop and I think of for a moment of the well of addiction. And whole how it makes people thirsty so much so that they are dying of its thirst. The well that has us drinking too much, eating too much, taking pills, smoking marijuana. Engaging in meth and drug after drug after drug. Time and time again, we go to these wells, never to find living water, but finding poison water. Speaking of poison water, too many in the room today, too many in the church today are addicted to pornography. Drawing from its well, drawing from the images and the, the videos that entice you and amuse you, all the while destroying the intimacy reserved for your wife, for your husband, and demolishing your intimacy with God. And we keep going to the well of addiction. And you know what? If you find yourself at that well today, can I remind you of something I learned from this Samaritan woman? Jesus is after you. He will meet you at that well, and he will offer you living water instead. I think of the well that is relationships. What we draw from relationship well time and time again, and for many, we leave unsatisfied. Why? Not because relationships can't be good and godly, but because we look to relationships with people to fill our greatest needs and they were never intended to. Needs that only Jesus can fill in our lives. And so we date person after person based on looks and personalities and not how much they remind us of Jesus. We marry for our own happiness. And we marry so that someone else can meet all of our needs. And when all those needs are not met, those expectations are not met, we crush our marriages under the weight of our expectations. Suddenly, the grass looks greener on the other side. And we try to manipulate God's word and God's will to look just like our sinful desires. And we blow up our marriages. 
and we continue to drink from wells poisoned by lies and sin that leave us empty and dying of thirst. Hey, can I share with you the only way to experience a godly, a healthy relationship is if you are godly and you are healthy spiritually. Can I tell you what you need to be that way? Living water. And I just happen to know someone who's a dealer in living water and he's after you. He's after your relationships. He's after your marriage. Some of you are drinking. Guys, I, by the way, I have like 40 wells that we could talk about. But I'm going to share with you the last one for this morning. Some of you go to the well every single day. The well of the workaholic. You go to it time and time again. You say, I must provide for my family while I sacrifice them on the altar of my schedule. I must make more money, generate more power, increase more and more pro productivity. Providing for your family, I want you to hear me, it's much more than just about money. Your, your, your presence matters more. If you're a workaholic, you are drawing from a poison well that is running dry, leaving you empty and thirsty. And yet again, I know a guy who will meet you at that well and offer you living water because here's what I know about this guy. He is after you. I don't know what well you might be going back and forth to. and still thirsty. But you know what I know to be true? That in John chapter 4, a woman went to the well and she encountered Jesus and everything began to change. What would it be today if I could call the Samaritan woman's booking agent and say, hey, listen, I need you here. I'm preaching on your story. Come, share with Connect Church. Tell us all about it. I wonder if she would stand here today and as she began to speak about Jesus, I wonder if her emotions would begin to be seen. I bet you something that she would stand up here and part of her testimony as she testified would be something like this. You ready, church? Jesus wasn't after the water. He was after me. Jesus isn't after the water. He's after you. Jesus isn't always after what we think he is. He's after you and that has broken you. That is hurting you. That is sinful and addicted to you. That is the secret you that you hope nobody ever sees. That is the you who feels like maybe you're not enough or that you'll never be enough. That, that is the one in the room who says, God is done with me, you. He's after you today. He's not after the water. He's after you. And here's what he offers. Drink but from him by faith and watch this living water of his spirit become a fountain overflowing joy and peace and hope and life in you. And so believer, listen to me. You ready? Stop going to poison wells. Wells that run dry and leave you thirsty again and again. When today Jesus is standing there with living water, I'm going to close with this story.
Max Lucado, in his book simply entitled Jesus, the God Who Knows Your Name, tells the story of a little girl by the name of Carrie Annette. You see, Carrie Annette has a spark in her eye, he writes. There's a look to her, a bounce in her step, a light in her eyes. She is one of 57 children in a Haitian orphanage. All these kids are wonderful and loving. Each one is precious, but, but this seven-year-old little girl stands out from the others. Not as the result of a special treatment, he writes. She eats the same red beans and rice as the others, plays on the same grassless playgrounds. She sleeps beneath the same um, tin roof as the other girls. Her routine is identical to the other girls, and yet she is different. The reason? Ask her. Ask Carrie Annette about the visitors who traveled from a faraway world just to see her. They, they were looking for a girl, a little girl, a girl just like her. They knew her name. They knew her favorite song. They know that she, she loves to look at books and she loves to jump rope. And in a moment that changed the little seven-year-old girl's life forever, they invited her to live with them. They're coming for me, she'll tell you. Her adoptive parents brought her pictures of teddy bears, granola bars, and cookies. She shared the goodies with her friends. She asked the director to guard her teddy bear, but she kept the pictures. Because the pictures reminded her of a father who knows her. They remind her of a home that awaits her. The photographs convince her to believe the incredible that someone knows her name and has promised to take her home. As a, as a result, Carrie Annette is different. She lives in the same orphanage, plays on the same playground, eats in the same cafeteria, but her world changed the day she learned someone far away knew her name and was coming for her. In John chapter 4, the Samaritan's world changed when she began to realize that someone from far away as heaven knew her name and had come for her. Jesus wasn't after the water. He's after you. Let's pray together, can we? I sat in a hotel in Denver throughout this week and worked on this message. And one of the things I always ask of the message that I write is, how's this going to hit you? How's it going to hit the folks that I'm preaching to? And then God always answers that question about how it hits me. Guys, I'm going to tell you that although Jesus has saved me, listen, I have drank from him by faith. There is living water inside of me because his spirit is there. I have known joy and peace and hope and life because of Jesus. But I'm going to tell you something. Far too many times in my life, I find myself going back to those same old wells that left me thirsty and empty. Wells that had run dry. And so this week, I spent some time calling out those wells.
to the Lord. You know what my prayer became? I don't want to go back there anymore. I don't want nothing to do with my old sin and my old ways. I don't want to go back to those wells just to be thirsty again. When I have living water inside, if you're a believer here today, part of the reason there might be some emptiness in your life, there's some dryness in your spirit, Because maybe, maybe you're just going back to those wells time and time again. Part of the reason you might be thirsty is because those wells have dried up and if there's any water in them, it's poison. And so today, how could this message hit? Maybe, just maybe today's message would send believers all over this room running from wells they should never sit around. Wells they should never draw from and wells they should never drink again. And by doing so, sitting down with Jesus today, experiencing that living water that only He could bring. And so if you're a believer today, in just a moment, we're going to sing about our freedom in Christ. Man, I've just decided for the next few weeks, I just want to close down in song. I want to open this altar and give you the chance just to come down here and pray. There's something about movement. Something about getting on your knees before the Lord. For some of you to celebrate that moment in that day, Jesus came to your well and gave you living water. Some of you might come and say, God, I'm, I'm tired of going back to those wells that leave me thirsty again and again. Drink from Jesus again today, believer. And find in Him your living water. Maybe something's heavy on your heart. You just want to lay it at His feet. In just a moment, you come and we start singing. But before we sing, there might very well be somebody in the room who, listen, you've never, you've never come to Jesus. You've never taken a drink from Him by faith. And there are no living waters in you. And if that's your story, the beauty of the Samaritan woman in this passage is that you know that Jesus is after you today. And the invitation still stands. Hey, you come. You're thirsty. You come and drink of me. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.